This week, uh, we are in the midst of talking, we'll see in a minute, about submission, uh, which is where we find ourselves in Romans 13, such a favorite word of our culture. Uh, and we'll dive into that in a minute. But before we do, um, this is a pretty heavy topic. It's a topic that's caused a lot of division in the church, not only throughout history, but especially in the last nine months. And so before I kind of dive into this, and we're going to cover a lot of scripture, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. It's not going to be me talking. It's going to be reading through scriptures because I want to show you what God's heart is behind this and what our response should be. And I don't want you to argue with my opinion. I want you to argue with God. And I want you to go to him with what he says in his word. So before we dive in, let me pray for us and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we bow before you this morning. As we bow, it's a symbol of us submitting ourselves to you, opening up our neck, <laughs> laying our head down so that we can't see what's coming, but we trust you. And the act of bowing is just that. And so we bow this morning. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be bowing our heads this morning, but I pray that you would help us to bow our hearts. Lord, help us to learn what it means to submit to you and why it's so important and why it's so devastating and destructive when we don't. Father, the early sin of Adam was he refused to submit to you. Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and refused to submit to just one simple rule. And that breaking of that one simple thing caused all the mess and destruction that we see today. But we thank you that you give us hope, that you have come and that you have given us good news. <laughs> the greatest news we could ever have, that in the midst of a world that's perishing, there's a world that's coming. In the midst of flesh that's dying, there's a new flesh, a new body that's coming, and a new life in you. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to that this morning in your name. Amen. Don't forget our theme verse for Romans is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the good news about what God says, his plan for humanity, because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In other words, it was to the Jews first, and they were to share it with everyone else. It's the same for us. He gives us the message of Jesus. He gives us a picture of who he is. We respond, and then our job for the rest of our lives to raise our children and grandchildren and, and the world is to see who he is. For in it, God's righteousness, in other words, what is right, what am I supposed to submit to or not submit to, is revealed from faith to faith, from the beginning to the end of the book, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this morning, we're going to cover not ashamed of submission, not ashamed of submission. I don't think of anything that could be more shaming than submission, right? Submission in our culture, the word when you talk about submission that that's positive, in other words, we think of it in a positive way, is when we think of like MMA fighting, right? Like, like your, your, your goal is to get the other person to tap out, to submit, or you beat their body so badly, their body can't continue, and a referee says, fight over submission. Does that make sense? So either the person submits, or there's a ruler and authority, a referee, who submits the fight and says it's over. You see, that's just like what God does in Scripture. Now, God's not an MMA fighter, but, but what he does is he offers us the opportunities to submit, and then he tells us that the world that we're in will beat us up and force us to submission to him. 
that when we pass away, we are going to stand before him someday and we're going to have to choose and we aren't going to have a choice because he's the judge and he is going to say, you will submit to my rule and because you didn't in this life, you will submit to me for eternity separated from me. That's our Bible. That's the story. And that's why this message of submission is the most offensive message in our culture. Especially in a culture that's all about freedom and rights, right? The idea of submission is you quit. You're not fighting. You're not continuing. That's why Peter got so angry with Jesus. And when he got angry with Jesus and he said, I'll die for you, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He called him Satan to his face because Peter wasn't willing to submit to the plan God had for Jesus to go to the cross, to pay the penalty we owed, to be resurrected, to ascend to heaven, and then to come back someday that we're still waiting on. And Peter said, I don't like that plan. I'm not submitting to that. You can't tell me what to do. Jesus said, later, at the end of John, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. And then right after that, he looks at Peter, and Peter says, well, what about going to happen and Jesus says well you're going to be led where you don't want to go and you're going to be killed for me and he looks and he says well what about John and Jesus is like what's it matter if John follows me or not will you submit to me will you follow me will you do what I've asked see we love pointing around right well I'm not going to submit because they don't submit and I'm not going to submit because he doesn't submit and she doesn't submit and they don't submit to me so I don't have to submit because they don't it's exactly what Peter was dealing with at the end of John when Jesus is like, what's it matter what John does? This is about me and you. This is about do you willingly submit your will to me or not? And if you won't, oh, be worried. Because Jesus called Peter his closest, one of his closest confidants and disciples, Satan in the midst of that argument. What? It goes on. Last week, we looked at Romans 12 because Romans 13 is a follow-up to Romans 12. Paul's been laying out theology, and in Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, remember, not by the judgment and wrath of God, the fact that we're already under wrath, but God's offered us mercy. See, we don't believe that truth. We think we're already kind of doing okay, and then wrath comes. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're already under wrath. We're in a world of wrath. The world's a mess, and it's only by God's mercies we continue to exist. Exist. That's the Christian faith. That's even the Jewish faith of the Old Testament. We know that. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. And so he says, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies, your flesh, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, don't just come with a nasty body. Like, say, I want you to cleanse this. I want to come whole in you. And then he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In other words, he says there is a battle raging and your flesh gets in the way. What you want, your desires get in the way of you being able to experience the full mercies and the fullness of God. And Satan uses this world to push and kill and hurt our flesh to try to get us to respond with a lack of faith. That's been since the beginning of time, and it hasn't changed, and it will not change, our Bible says, until Christ comes back. And so Paul lays that out in Romans 12, and then he goes on and he says, for by the grace given to me. In other words, I'm not trying to measure up to God by I'm going to sacrifice more, I'm going to die more, I'm going to lay my body down, I'm going to prove to God how righteous I am. He's like, no, 
just by the grace that I don't even deserve to be saved. I deserve wrath. I don't deserve the mercies of God. But by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think highly. Think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in the body, all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we are a many or one body in Christ and individually members of it. In other words, Paul says, look, here's the deal. The reason you start to not submit is because you start to think pretty highly of yourself. And when you start to think pretty highly of yourself, not as highly as God tells you to think of yourself, that you're his child, that he loves you, but when you start to elevate yourself over others and I'm better and, and I've done more righteous and they should submit but not me, and you start doing that in your life, Paul's like, don't do that. You're on a dangerous, slippery slope. And he says, you're going to need the body of Christ to help reveal when you're doing that. And you're going to need my word because you're going to go off separate. You're going to isolate yourself. And every time you do that, there's going to be trouble. Trouble. You don't think so? Take your two-year-old. Take a two-year-old. Put him in a room full of stuff. Whatever stuff. Cleaners. Knives. Whatever you want. Just put them in a room full of stuff and tell them don't touch anything and walk out and see how that goes. You don't have to teach them to disobey. You don't have to teach them to like go out into the world. You have to teach them what's right and wrong, what's proper and improper for the age that they're at. You have to help them navigate. That's what we're supposed to do even as adults. We're supposed to be doing that for one another in the body of Christ. But instead we walk around like two-year-olds and throw tantrums. How dare you tell me what to do? How dare God tell me? So Paul goes on. And as he goes through the rest of the book of Romans, Paul gets really practical on all the theology that he's just given for many chapters. He gets real practical. And in verse 12, he says, practical thing, one another, number one, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to, you've got to Take your flesh and say, no, no, no. I'm going to renew my mind to what's true about God, not what's true about my feelings and what I want. And then he says in verse 13, everyone must submit. Everyone must submit. Now pause for a moment. Submit to what? Submit to who? <laughs> Paul unpacks that for the rest of the book. And he starts with the most offensive place to submit. Paul would have said, he could have said, everyone should submit to a loving father. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Paul, thank you. A loving dad who cares for me. He could, a loving mother. No, no, no. Paul says everyone must submit, and he knows that what we're thinking is, submit to those people? Are you kidding me? And so Paul, and this is what we fight. We go, well, everyone but me, like, Everyone else should submit, but I, I, I'm special. I get special privileges because I know God and because I know Jesus. Like, I get special treatment. God's like, no, you don't. You will maybe someday when you get to heaven, but here you're just like everybody else. Then he goes on and he says, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Wait, wait, what? I don't know that we believe that. We don't believe it. We didn't believe it with the last three presidents. Half the country didn't believe that the last three presidents were their president. We can't believe the fact that God's in control, that he's sovereign, that, that he's working a plan and sometimes he lets wrath happen because again, all God does, listen, 
All God has to do for his wrath, for the wrath to happen in the world, is take his hands off just like your two-year-old. You, all you have to do is open the door and let your two-year-old walk out in the world and they will not last unless someone intervenes. That's the same with God. If God doesn't intervene spiritually for us, we're dead in the water. And we know this practically, but then we look and we go, oh, but I'm so smart, I'm so mature, I'm, I'm not like a two-year-old. No, no, you actually are. God calls us all children. We have to have childlike faith. And so he says, you have to understand that the governing authorities are there, and even though they're bad, it could be much worse. Because even bad authority, we'll see in a minute, is helpful. He goes on, he says, so then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. What? I told you this is going to be offensive. This is offensive. Now, when you say we'll bring judgment on yourself, it means you're going to bring the death of your flesh. Is there a right time to stand up to authority? We'll see that in a minute. Yes, there are some right times to stand up to authority. But when you stand up to authority, like people have done and the church has done in the past, you know what typically happens? You die. You get martyred. You surrender your flesh. You fight and die because you're fighting against authority. And we're trying to figure out who really the authority is and the winner will have authority and will kill you. That's MMA fighting. That's, that's exactly how this works in a lost and broken world. And God says, you have to understand that that's how wicked you are and I am and the world around you is that you need even bad authority to hold things together because you're so awful. And if you don't submit, I'm telling you, you are bringing judgment on yourselves. That's plural. He doesn't say just on you. He says on yourselves. In other words, your decision to not submit affects the people around you all the time. And there's sometimes generational problems. Because then the next generation submits a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And then you have complete anarchy. Because I'm just doing what makes me happy. I'm following my feelings and you want me to be happy. And that's what we see in our world today. He goes on. The Greek word, real quick, for, for submit, just so there's no confusion. The Greek word for submit is hupotasso. Hupotasso. It means it's a Greek military term meaning to arrange in military divisions or fashions under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was the voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying someone else's burden. That's an offensive word. For, for Paul to choose to use this word and the Bible to choose to use this word, they're using it like you are under command. You're under authority. Like, there's no doubt of what he's saying. And when you're under it, your job is to then carry someone else's burden. Like, like not try to get to be authority, but to say, wow, I'm under it, so I want to help someone else be under this great authority I'm under, which is God himself. He goes on in Philippians, Paul says this. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, this is what he just said in Romans, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look out only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Remember, that name means Messiah who is Yahweh who saves. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage while he was in the flesh. He wasn't trying to use God for his advantage now in the flesh. That's what most churches preach and how they attract people. 
God wants you to be happy in your flesh. He wants to fulfill your flesh. He wants to... No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus served. Jesus actually stayed home till he was 30. He was a stay-at-home adult from age 12 to age 30. Living with his mommy. Taking care of his siblings because most likely his father died. He had the most important mission in the world. He could call the whole world to submit to him. And Jesus was submitting to be a carpenter in a little town called Nazareth to a mother and a bunch of his brothers and sisters who were not nearly as righteous as he was. He goes on and he says, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, that's flesh, and when he had come as a man, in, and, and when he had come as a man in, in external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And Jesus tells us, take up your cross and follow me. I'm more like, take up the Cheetos and a Coke. And follow me. Jesus is like, no, just model what I did. I didn't try to get something in this life. I wasn't trying to get to a certain level and, and be happy. And I was fully happy and content in my father all the time. I got up early in the morning to remind myself I'm fully content and happy every day and who God is. Doesn't matter what happens today. I've got everything because I'm God and He's God and everything's fine and this is the plan goes on and it says this in Ephesians. Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. See, children imitate. That's how they learn. They imitate what the adults do. Right? You don't think so. Listen to a kid's language. You can pretty much know what language is being used at home. Goes on and it says, and walk in love. Again, God's definition of love, not the world's definition. As the Messiah has also loved us and gave himself for us. In other words, he defines love to say love looks like Jesus who gave himself didn't demand things from another person. Then he goes on and he says, as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. What did Paul say in Romans 12.1? To offer yourselves as a living sacrifice? See, this message continues all the way through Scripture. It doesn't change. And then he says, let no one deceive you with, an empty, with empty arguments or God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. That's exactly what was said in Romans. It's the same message over again. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember what Paul said? His good, pleasing, and perfect will, if you live as a living sacrifice, he's repeating the same thing over again. He does this about four or five times in the New Testament. He goes on and he says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Pay careful attention to how you walk. Do you pay careful attention to how you walk? I mean, typically when I put stuff together, I try to figure it out before I read the manual. You know what I mean? Then you get stuck and you're like, okay, I don't know what to do. Unless it's Ikea furniture. You've got to have the manual for that. that. That's just crazy. Right? Like Ikea furniture is tough. And if you don't follow the manual, it's, you won't get it. Because you'll put something together and then at the end you've got to take it apart because there was one piece that they, it was crazy. So anyway, here, Paul's saying, look, you've got to understand that you live in a world that's constantly trapping you. And he says, make the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. 
But understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine because that leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what he lays out. Look at what Paul goes back to Romans 13. Look at what he says. After he says what he says in Romans 13, if you jump down further, he says, besides this, knowing the time, right? Which is what he just said in Ephesians. Knowing the time, it's, it's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. <laughs> wake up. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Yep. Like, like Christ... <laughs> It's getting closer, not further away. (laughs) There's a time set when Christ is going to come back and we're moving towards that time. It's not getting further back. And he says, the night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Yahweh, who is Yahweh who saves, who is the, put him on, and make no plans, here it is, to satisfy the fleshly desires. Oh, that's convicting. No plans? Are you sure just not a lot of plans? Like, I just, some plans to satisfy, no. Don't make plans to satisfy the flesh. The flesh will always lead you to what you want and it will always lead to to destruction or it will lead to what someone else wants which will lead you to destruction. Versus saying, I'm going to submit to what God says is the authority. And that's why in Ephesians 5, Paul lays out very clearly what this looks like to walk in the light, to submit to him, and to be filled by the Spirit. He says, but be filled by the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And we go, yeah, I want to be in that church. That's, that sounds exactly, yes, where we're just, we're singing kumbaya, we're, we're mutually, oh, it's just wonderful and all this stuff. No, no, no. See, Paul's smarter than to let us stop there, right? Paul's smarter than to let us say, oh, I'm doing fine, Paul. He's like, no, 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 no. Let's go a little bit deeper on what this truly looks like to submit. And he dives in deeper and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Boy, there's nothing more offensive than that statement in our culture today. There's churches try to explain this away every way they can. Six ways to Sunday, they try to explain this away. And I'm like, I didn't write the book. I didn't ask to be the one who has to be the chief dyer in my relationship with my wife. I don't want to die. I want to kind of be obeyed and I want to sit on a throne. That's not what he gets ready to say in Ephesians. And he looks at the wife and notice he doesn't start with the husband. He starts with the wife because he knows the struggle that's happening in churches. This hasn't changed. We live in a culture that tell women you can be everything. You can do everything. You can have it all. And they're miserable. Miserable. The pressure that women are under to be a career woman and a mom and a mother and all the things. And then they just go, I'm sick of it all. And they throw it off and follow whatever they want. Duh. Because we don't look at scripture and say, what would it look like for us to submit first to the church Now, once you've figured that out, you can probably be a wife. Once you've figured that out, you can be a husband. 
Paul's laying this out because he loves the church. He loves you, he loves me, and he's speaking what God's love is, and we go, no, that's not loving. You don't understand my husband. You don't understand, you're right, I don't. But have you leaned into the church to help you submit, to know how to submit properly, to walk you through things? Or do you just say, I'm going to do what I want? Okay, well, you're heading towards destruction, Scripture over and over says. And then he says, look at this. And he goes, submit to their husbands in everything. What? What? In everything? Now, again, Paul's talking about within the church. There's a section Paul talks about for unbelieving husbands. And how to respond to them. But this he's talking about. If you have a, someone who's a believer. that you're, You need to work through that. And then he goes on and he says. Since we are members of his body. In verse 30. I love how he clarifies that. He says the reason we act this way. The reason we try to figure out how to submit to one another. Instead of just running from one another. And running from church to church. Running from relationships. The reason we submit. Is because we recognize that there's something bigger than us. And we recognize that someday we are going to stand before God and stand before his witnesses and stand before the judge. And we're going to have to give an account. And if I'm living within his body now, I'm not afraid of that moment. (laughs) I'm not afraid to stand before God and go, I've sinned. Here's all the ways I've sinned and I just trusted your grace. He says, good. And here's all the ways I tried to obey you and love you. And here's that, great. I love you. Thank you. Thanks for responding to me. In the power of the Spirit. Then he goes on and he says, To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Right before that, he tells the husbands, You are to die for your wife. Lay down your life. We got so many husbands that have so many hobbies that serve nothing but them and their buddies. Stop it. Just stop. Serve the church. Serve your wife. Serve, if you don't have a wife, serve the bride of Christ. Look to serve someone. Tell them about Christ. That's that's what we're called to do. That's why it breaks my heart. It's why when we planted this church, I said I wasn't going to allow people to just transfer in from another church. If you left a bride, I want to know why. What went on? Do they even know you left? Have you dealt with the problem? Did you walk through it? And that has hampered our growth so much. But you know what it's done? It's raised up disciples. It's raised up people who get this and they try to live differently. I'm okay with that. He goes on and he says, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. How do you guys do as children with your parents? I talk to college students all the time. They'll be like, we don't understand my mom and dad, and they want me to do this and want me to do that. And I always look at them, I'm like, do they still pay your bills? Any of your bills? Your health insurance, anything? Yes. Submit. Submit. They're still caring for you. They still love you in some capacity if they're paying for things. Submit to them. Well, but they're telling me I need to worship, you know, this God. Well, okay, then don't submit to that. But tell them that. Say, I want to submit to you. I want to love you. I want to do what you ask me to do. I just can't submit to you worshiping this guy. I can't do that. But I can't submit to you in all these ways. That's never how the conversation goes. Conversation goes, I'm not doing that. And then we walk away and it's all broken and it's a mess. Versus having the conversation of taking them to Scripture and saying, Mom and Dad, this is what I see in the Scripture. I don't want to do that. Is it okay if I don't do that? Hey, everyone in our family is a doctor. I want you to, to go and I want you to be a doctor. And you have the capability to do that. And I'm paying for it. Okay. 
I'll just believe that's what God wants. Because you're the authority. I'm 18. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's in Deuteronomy 4 where he says when you're 18, you have no responsibility to, to submit to your parents. It's right there. It's not there. It doesn't exist. We are constantly trying to look how to honor people. And everybody just wants to dishonor everyone. I wrote a letter to the mayor twice saying thank you for these things. I'm concerned about these things. Appreciate your service to our community. He doesn't get many letters like that. Goes on and he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Whew. Let me just be honest. There are times when I really like to stir up my kid and kids. You know what I mean? Like, you're going through the kitchen, your son's reaching to the top of the cabinet and his ribs are fully exposed. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, Oh, think, and I mean, you just zap him. He's like, ah, oh, stop, right? Don't do that. You're like, ha, 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 and he's like, that's not funny. That's kind of a little bit of stirring up some wrath, right? Like, I want to fight with you, ha, 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 you know? And sometimes we both laugh. Sometimes I don't want to be picked on, and he doesn't want to be picked on, and it's a war. And in that moment, you might need to just say, sorry, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. There's grace for me when I stir you up to wrath. Please forgive me. God says I shouldn't have done that. You obviously are wrathing towards me. My bad. That's how it's supposed to work. And then he goes on and he says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. As, as to Christ, don't work only while you're being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Do you know how many times... I come here on a Sunday morning and I have to clean and I just want to skip things. I'm just like, nobody's going to see it. Nobody's here this week. Nobody's going to know. And I always have this thought. I wonder if they've installed cameras. And then I just go ahead and do what I'm supposed to do. It happens every time. It, there's not been a morning I've come to clean it that does not happen in my mind. Like I go through that renewing of the mind of like, I need to do what I said I would do. I sent them a list of what I would do. I'm going to do it. It happens constantly. He goes on and he says, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. In other words, quit looking to receive it back from the other person. You're not going to get it. Not unless they're in Christ and they're in the Lord. Start looking to do things because God tells you to do it, not because it works out to your benefit. Then he goes on and he says, and masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Paul goes on in another book called Philemon and he writes about a slave named Onesimus and he writes to Philemon who is the master of this slave who could have killed Onesimus because Paul says, Onesimus, you need to go back to Philemon and you need to fix that relationship because Philemon is a believer and you're a believer and we are going to meet in heaven and we need to talk about it now. So he sends Onesimus back with a letter and he tells Philemon, you are to treat Onesimus as you would if I were showing up at your house and he is no longer longer your slave he is your brother treat him as a brother how did Jesus treat his brothers served him goes on Paul continues 
in Ephesians 6 and says, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the tactics of the devil. you got to understand what the devil's tactics are. And his number one tactic is you have the right. You, you, you don't need to be humble. You're on top. You're great. You're awesome. That's his number one tactic. Versus I'm nothing, God is great, and he's the one that makes me great. So I know I'm great because of him, not because of me. That's the right perspective. Satan twists that. And he says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. In other words, we don't believe we're in a war anymore, and we're constantly trying to look how to, how to get out of it. I, I'm tired of the fight. Well, then you shouldn't have become a Christian. There's a lot of be- other religions that are way better at not fighting. Buddhism's a great one. Buddhism, if to truly fully become Buddhist and, and full Zen Buddhism, you just go up on a mountain, don't eat, meditate, and die. And you're in nirvana. You just have to not eat. That's it. Pass out and then die. That, and you've, you've ascended. That's an easy one. Take that one. Christianity says we're in a war and and if you come to know Christ and he doesn't take you home in the minute that you repent and he doesn't suck you up into heaven, it means he's left you here because he's going to teach you how to battle. He's going to teach you how to fight. He's going to teach you how to be his servant in the world, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, to give his message to the world. James says it this way, what is the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings, the flesh that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you go, well, I ask. And James says, I know you do, but you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own evil desires. Well, why wouldn't God want right now we're praying for for someone in our church whose aunt is dying of COVID. They've called in the direct person next to them because they're probably not going to make it through the day unless a miracle happens. And one of our families is not here today because they're praying. They're joining us online. But they're praying. They're seeking God. They're asking. And you know what? It may not happen. And if it doesn't happen, we have the confidence to know that she's getting a new body, one that's never going to be sick again, one that's always going to be in the presence of God and never have to war again. She will have her peace. And she's still fighting. She's still fighting to stay here and make Christ known. But it may be time. See, we look at that and go, well, that's just so evil that she has to die. No, it's just the world. We brought it on ourselves. Mom and dad, you're so mean to punish me. No, you brought it on yourself. Then he says, therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. His tactics Colossians says it this way, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. All those these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting aesthetic practices, humility and severe treatment of the body. They are not of any value to curbing self-indulgent. The only way you kill the flesh is through Christ. 
You can try all the laws you want. You can try to put a lock on your cabinet. You can tell your roommate, don't let me eat that. You can do whatever you want to try to, to not let the flesh happen. But I'm telling you, there's no way to do it other than in Christ and in his body with accountability. It, it just isn't a way to do it. And even if you do get rid of something in your life, you're just going to fill it with something else. That's why when people quit smoking, the number one thing that happens to them is they gain a bunch of weight. Because they don't stop the addiction. They don't stop the flesh. They just trade it for a different fleshly thing. That's all they do. It's just a trade-off. And in relationships, we do that. Well, this relationship's bad, so I'm going to trade off for this one. It's eventually going to get bad, too. You're going to have a mess there, too, eventually. I mean, it's going to happen. And it goes on and he says, and whatever you do in word or deed or do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, that's one of the other things that will show you if you're submitting. When you have to submit, do you submit and go, oh, got to submit? Or do you say, wow, I'm just thankful I have life and breath. I'm just thankful that God is patient with me and I can be patient with that person. See, our heart is, is the thing that Paul's laying out here and the Bible lays out. And guess what he says in Colossians? He goes back and says, wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters and everything. It's like Paul repeat, it's repeated over and over again. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically is something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward, an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. I mean, I can't, I mean, go on. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without anger or argument. That's key right there, by the way, because most men who are leaders, are constantly trying to argue and prove their point and win arguments and battles. And he says, no, also the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, with giant social media accounts. No, I'm just kidding. But with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. As a woman should learn in silence with full submission, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man instead of she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, then Eve. This is in the Bible? Yep. You cannot like it. You can say, well, God couldn't have actually meant this. He actually did. He actually meant that men should lay down their lives for a culture lay down their lives for children and women in a culture, that they should elevate children and women to a place of position, that men should shut up in church and maybe look at their wife and say, hey, I know you're not maybe supposed to speak up, but I want your opinion and I'll speak what you want me to speak. I'm, I'm listening to you. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? See, God's smarter than we think. God knows our heart. He knows how we struggle. He knows what our tendencies are. He knows the difference between male and female and gender and sexuality and all those things. And he puts it in order and says, this is how it's going to be ordered. And if you do it, it will work for my glory. And we go, nope, not doing it. Okay, then you're just going to bring more mess. He goes on and he says, 
Titus, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. If you can't say that that was you at some point in your life, I question whether you really know Jesus or not. Because man, at some point you've got to recognize that this this is and was you without the grace of God, without him changing you. He goes on and he says this in Hebrews, therefore through him let us continually offer up To God, a sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips that confesses his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as to those who will give an account. So they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Over and over again, every book talks about this. It's just constant. Go back to Romans 13. It says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Guess what? If you drive the speed limit, you're not looking for cops. You're not. You're not looking around like, because you're driving the speed limit. Right? Now, I'm not saying you, you know, I have to always, I'm not, I'm just picking on that little thing. There's a lot of other things we do that, well, no one's looking. I hope I don't get caught. And he goes on, he says, for government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. In other words, God has said, I have given the physical fleshly sword to government. That's what I've done. Jesus said, I brought the sword of the word to divide joint and marrow, (laughs) right? God said he's given that to the government. And then he says, for government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. You see, the way we do government now is if we can get a good enough lawyer that can spin the law so we can get out of it, we do everything we can to avoid wrath instead of taking it. I want the least sentence I can get How can I plead down? Instead of saying, I deserve to be executed. So whatever I get, I consider grace. And I'm sorry that I did what I did. I admit it, I own it, and I'm responsible for it. No one else. Goes on and he says this. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That means people who don't believe or Gentiles that don't understand the law of the Old Testament. Conduct yourselves. He says, conduct yourselves honorably so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, you have to believe that God is going to visit them one day. You have to believe that God is going to give them an opportunity at some point to repent, and you have to believe that you get to be a part of making that happen. So live honorably. Share the truth. And then he goes on and he says, submit to every human authority. This is Peter now speaking, not Paul. 
Because of the Lord, whether the emperor or the supreme authority, or governors or as those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. When Paul wrote this, Emperor Nero had set the city on fire of Rome, had accused Christians of doing it, and he was impaling Christians through their bottoms with sticks, putting oil on them and lighting his streets with Christians when Peter wrote, submit to the emperor. Pretty sure our government isn't there yet. And Peter still wrote this. There couldn't have been anything more offensive if your son was hanging on the road than when Peter wrote this. See, we've got to wrestle with our heart. It doesn't mean I just give my son to the emperor. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't try to protect those who are innocent. But at some point, this world catches up with you. He goes on and he says in 1 Peter, For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slave, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What? Nero's declared himself a god and I have to honor him? You've got to find a way to honor him. Just don't. He's not God. But you've got to find a way to like, I honor you that God for some reason has put you in power. I don't know why. I don't like it. And I think he's going to judge you and I think your soul's in trouble. You can say all those things. He goes on. Because see, submission is not agreement. Submission is agreement to an authority, that they are an authority. It's not an agreement to do what they want you to do. There's a big difference between those things. You can agree to someone's authority and not do what they tell you to do in respect and love and humility. But we don't do that. We take it as pride when I get to be the authority and not do what I'm told. He goes on and he says this. Jesus said it this way. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I warned you, that I told you. Why are you surprised? Paul goes on to say, therefore you must submit not only because of wrath, I love this, but because of your conscience. Paul says, look, don't just submit because you're afraid of getting in trouble. Submit because you actually believe that, that you have a conscience that says, I have to figure out how to love and submit and to make this work. As, long, as, as much as it's possible for me. That's what Paul says. So don't just say, well, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble, so I'm going to do what's right. No, not just out of wrath. Renewing of your mind, he says. And for this reason, you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's public servants continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Now I gotta pay taxes too? I don't like this. This is Paul writing to the Roman church, a culture very similar to ours, and Paul is not backing off. He is going right after Uranus' heart, and he's just like, boom, here it is. That's exactly what he does. Next week, we're going to dig in deeper to that part of this verse, but as we wrap up, I'm going to give you a couple of verses. Galatians 2 says this, 
This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ in order to enslave us. Paul's writing to the Galatian church and there were these people that were claiming to be authorities and they were coming in and saying things that weren't true of scripture. Paul says, look what he says. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. In other words, we had to fight against the truth of the gospel. They were not preaching the true gospel and we fought against that. Oh, and by the way, they weren't authorities sent out by the church. They were false authorities. They made themselves authorities. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of people doing church. There's a lot of pastors doing church who have made themselves their own authority and they have no authority underneath them. You should be scared of that. That that should cause you to go, eh. Or if they do have authority, it's like their whole family's on staff. So that we all get along and tell everybody else what to do. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I would just be weary of that when I read things like this. To be very careful of that. Luke 6 says this, you are blessed when people hate you, Jesus says. Really? I'm blessed. When they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of me, because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. What? Can I just tell you, I've not seen Christians do this. We haven't been able to meet. The government shut us down. And I see a lot of people moaning and groaning and complaining and whining. And we got to fight and we got to do this. I don't see many of them going, yes, finally, we're being persecuted. I've been waiting. My brothers all over the world have been persecuted. Now it's my turn. I'm in. Let's let's do this. Jesus says, man, you should leap for joy that they are so concerned about you that they see me. Now, we're not looking to be persecuted. I'm not trying to get in trouble. But he says, just know that if you live a righteous life and you challenge people and you're a submissive person and people can't get you on their side, they can't like win you to their side because you're like, no, I'm under this authority. I'm not going with you. I'm not going to do that. I have an authority above you. No. They're going to come after you. He goes on, he says, rejoice in that day. Take note, your reward is great in heaven for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Jesus says, my own people act this way. So why are we surprised when we see this happening in churches? Why are we surprised when we see the mess of our world? Why are we surprised that the places where the church is exploding is the place of greatest persecution around the globe? Iran, church is exploding in Iran right now. I mean, off the rails crazy, people are coming to Jesus. China, oppressive, they can't meet, they're actually bulldozing churches right now that preach the gospel, and it's just spreading like wildfire. Why? Because it means something. Because these people are submitting, trying to submit to their rules, they don't think they have any power, they don't have a vote, they don't have rights, they don't have a voice, so they're trusting in their God who has the full voice, the full rights, and the full freedom, and they're saying, that's what I'm chasing, I don't care about any of this, and we're trying to cling to it all. Paul wraps up the end of Romans 14, and we'll visit this next week, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no plans to satisfy fleshly desires. I don't know about you, but that's convicting. That's convicting. 
because I am a person that fights this constantly. That I want what I want. And I want to do enough of what I do so that then God will give me what I want. Right? Like I'm going to do these things and then God exposes my heart because then he doesn't give me. He like gives me the opposite. You do all these great things. You do everything. It's supposed to work out this way and then it doesn't work out that way. And typically I get mad. I don't worship. I don't leap for joy. I'm like, I'm not serving you anymore. That's stupid. I'm not going to help them anymore. Okay, just checking to see who you were serving. Glad we're clear now. Guys, to live this way is radical, and it's, it's just as radical today as it was back then. And I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm asking you to look into your heart that is, we're going through what we're going through as a culture. We're still trying to meet. We're trying to obey authority the best we can. I don't think authority is trying to put us on sticks and light us on fire right now. I think they don't have a clue what they're doing. They're watching people die. My brother is in charge of Bloomington Hospital. His hospital is filling up. He has doctors and nurses that can't treat people because they've got COVID. So if you have a heart attack, if you want brain surgery, and the brain surgeon and the heart surgeon are sick with COVID, he can't treat you. There is a real pandemic. There's real things happening because there's a real God trying to get our attention and to say, your flesh is perishing. What's your response? Do you look to serve others or do you just, well, we'll just quarantine forever and then maybe it'll all get better? No, it's not. So you might want to still figure out how to serve people in the midst of quarantine, how to still love people and talk to them and reach out in the midst of it. The early church, when Paul's writing this in Rome, they met in the catacombs of Rome. They were reminded of death constantly because their church smelled like death because it was rotting bodies. And we look at this and we go, oh man, I just wish you could have what the early church had in Acts. I'm like, really? You want the early church? Okay, because I think God's going to bring it. Question is, what will our response be? And can I just tell you, Whenever, the Bible says that whenever a sinner repents, whenever we choose to say no flesh, yes God, it says heaven leaps for joy. That the angels in heaven rejoice. They throw a party. Because they're like, that's God that did that. You didn't do what you wanted to do. You did what God asked. That's a party. And man, that's awesome. And can I tell you that the more you do that, the more you begin to build a foundation in your life that you trust God and believe in him over everything else. That's my encouragement to you this morning. We live in a world that's a mess. And we have a God that has told us it's that way. He hasn't, he hasn't held back. We don't even know who our president is. God's like, I know. I'm the authority and I'll put somebody in charge. And you need to pray for him. <sighs> really? Yeah. Listen. Check your heart this morning. Go back through these scriptures this week. Wrestle with them. Ask yourself, do I have this kind of heart that Paul's saying from Romans 12 through 13? Do I have a heart that wants to just submit to God out of joy, out of pleasure, believing that's, that's going to be the best thing for the world and for my family and for, for my workplaces? Because when we do that, the world can't stand it. And the enemy's going to send in people that tells us, no, oh, stop. Don't be so godly. Don't be so serious. Now, if you're self-righteous, I would agree. Don't be so self-righteous. But if you're humble, 
I just want to serve God. I can't believe you serve our boss. I hate her. I don't hate her. I pray for her. Yeah, I understand. She does some things that my Bible says aren't right, but she's still in charge. If those were the conversations Christians were having on a regular basis, things might change. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that all of this is true, that you've given us your word. You've laid all this out for us, not because you're mean, not because you're trying to get us to suffer, not because you hate us, but because you truly do understand how the world was created. You understand how it was broken. And you understand the plan that you have to restore it. And I thank you that we can trust you and know that you're coming again. And so, Lord, I pray that anybody on this call or anybody in this room who has not surrendered their heart to you would do it today. They would make the choice to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. And I'm not going to trust anything else, and I'm putting my marker in the sand. And for those of us who believe and have made that decision, and we've crossed the line to become adopted by you as children, we don't have to keep getting adopted, but we do need to keep saying, thanks, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. What do you want me to do? And would that be our heart? Lord, we pray that you would change us. Help us to help one another become more like you in your name. Amen.